Thank you for listening to Echoes of Holiness Radio. We are playing the top 10 messages for last year. Number two for 2023 is the testimony of Brother Clarence McDaniel sharing his army experience and the amazing power in prayer that is available for all who are willing. Thank you for listening to Echoes of Holiness Radio in 2024 as well. I'm wanting to make for a while. <clears throat> Back in 1942, before I got saved a little while, I had went down to Chickasha, Oklahoma on Sunday night and drove up to the curb there in front of a place of business on Choctaw Street. There was two young ladies and another young man with me. And just about the time we drove up there from this place of business, one of these girls, her father and another buddy of his and some more just got thrown out of that place of business out there on the sidewalk and they was getting ready for a real brawl it looked like and this little old girl jumped out of the car and run over there grabbed the man by the arm and said you ain't gonna hit my daddy are you he said I'm gonna hit anybody gets my way another girl spoke up and she said you get out of this said I'm, I'm gonna get into this too well, they was already in it. Boy, they got started kicking and squealing and scratching and pulling hair and the fist was applying, the blood is spurting and, and it, several got involved in it. It wasn't very fun there for a little bit, but this is, this little old girl, this friend of mine was just a little bitty old girl. Not, you know, wasn't, wasn't a big girl, but the other girl was a pretty good sized lady. And she got this little old girl down and bumping her against the sidewalk a little bit. And and I stepped a straddle of them and turned them over where this little girl would be on top. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just trying to hold them between my legs to keep the big girl from turning over with this little old girl and, and trying to keep myself from getting hurt too and boy the fish was a flying and the blood is spurting and cussing and well you know what an over just regular old street brawl is after things kind of broke up and everybody went to the place of abode <clears throat> it was time to go home and get long up in the late hours and I drove home and it was feeling pretty good Hadn't got bruised up too bad, wasn't in too bad shape, and feeling kind of proud of myself in a way. There's no joy or no reward in being a a street brawler, but it's embarrassing now. But I drove home that night, and you never did slip in at our house. Mother... Oh, it seemed like she was always awake, especially when us boys was out. So I drove up in the yard real easy and got out of the car, shut the door lightly and pulled my shoes off and went to the back door and stepped in. And mother said, son, is that you? Yeah, this is me, Ma. 
Well, she said, I've been waiting on you. She said, I've been watching you tonight. I didn't know what she meant by that. But she come in, sat down, we lit a lamp, sat there at the table a little while, and she said, you come very near getting killed tonight, didn't you? Well, who's been by here? Who you been talking to? She said, there hasn't been nobody by here. But she said, the Holy Ghost showed me. Said, I saw you where you was at. I saw that street fight. I saw that man run at you with a knife. And I saw the man that pulled the gun on you. And you come very near getting killed tonight just by the mercies of God that you didn't. Well, I realized that. So, Mother turned me loose and I went on to bed. I wasn't feeling near as good now as I was when I got home. Just a little while after that, I got a card in the mail one day and said, greetings from the friends and neighbors that chose you to serve in the armed forces. Well, that wasn't very good news to me either. But there was nothing I could do about it but just answer the call and go. But I'd got saved just a while before that. After the fight, I saw where I was at. God had mercy on me and saved me. I'd have been saved just a little while when I went in the service. And then things began to change all together with me after I went in the service. Had to drop off my habits and a lot of things had to change. Well, it just had to make a new man out of me. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The day I to Induction Center which was Chickasha, Oklahoma and dad and mother and my brothers were there and mother was in too good a shape after a while they had to take her back to the car the train was late at getting there but it finally came I never will forget the sound of that big whistle that puffing engine. A lot of mothers, wives, fathers, and children was crying. It wasn't a very pleasant day right then. But after a while, it came my time to load on the coach. And Dad walked to the coach with me and holding one hand, he told me, he said, Son, I've tried to feed you and clothe you teach you the right way to go. So now this is as far as I can go. It'll be up to you and the Lord from here on out. I can't do nothing else for you. Just you and God. They had to take Dad away. The old engine puffed and steam was a-flying and people was a-crying and greeting one another goodbye and some begging, some different things. And they hauled us away down to Fort Sill Induction Center. And there's where the Army career began, where an old country boy didn't know nothing 
about the Army. I didn't even know how to march. I didn't care about learning either, but I didn't know, and there we was. That was on Saturday when we got to Fort Sill, and we didn't do much, just learned how to make a bed Saturday night. Sunday we didn't do a whole lot, only a few little lectures here and there. But Monday, it began to pick up. Things was different Monday. The old sergeant, they got us all out there and lined up, and here come an old sergeant. And I guess that's what he was. They said they called him Sarge anyway. And he said, I want eight volunteers, you and you and you. And I was one of the volunteers. So we followed him over to the officer's quarters and got over there. And they had eight rooms there in that building for the officers lived. And he took us to a room. Each man had a room and to clean up. He told us how to shine the shoes and dust everything off and put everything in order and report back out on the porch when we're finished mopping and sweeping and so forth and the room that I chose or the room that I didn't choose but they gave it to me was the officer lived in there was a tobacco chewer and he had a big old brass spit to him sitting over in the corner he spit at it and on it in it and around it on the walls and on the floor and everywhere else terrible looking mess and I come to that I cleaned everything else up in the room but that and when I got to that I said no just absolutely no I had a commitment with God that if he would deliver me from tobacco that I wouldn't take I wouldn't touch it in no way so there, there I was, either clean that up or get in trouble with God. Either get in trouble with man or get in trouble with God. So I didn't clean it up. I went out and reported that I was finished. They started inspecting the rooms. They got up to my room. I heard the old sergeant was a cousin. Come back out on the porch and he said, who, who had room number four? I did. He said, come in here. I said, how come you ain't got this room cleaned up? I told him, I said, I've gone as far as I can go with it. And oh, you ain't, you get, you get over there and clean all that up. And I said, no, I have a commitment with God and I've went as far as I can go without breaking that. Well, he said, I'll call the officer that lives here and see if he can't persuade you to clean it up. I said, well, just call him. So they went and got the officer and he come in there and dismissed everybody else. And I was in the room there with that officer and he said, how come you didn't finish this room up? And I said, well, and I was a crying by then. And I said, sir, I've got a commitment with God. I was a tobacco user. And I said, when God saved me, I promised the Lord that if he would deliver me from that desire for tobacco, that I wouldn't touch it in no way from now on. Well, he said, that's really not nasty. It's not too bad. And I said, it's, it's nasty to me. Well, he said, somebody's got to clean it up every day. And 
and she was chosen to clean it up. And I said, I'm not cleaning it up. You can court-martial me or do whatever you want to, but I'm not cleaning that up. And he said, well, it's not nasty. And I said, well, why don't you sop your bread and your crackers and your cookies in that ambeer? It's not nasty. And sop your bread and stuff in there and use that for a gravy. I saw him kind of swirl his nose up, and I knew I had him going backward. So I, I didn't clean it up. He dismissed me and told me, he said, you're in the Army now. You're going to do a lot of things that you don't want to do. But he said, for now, I'm going to dismiss you. And he said, may the Lord bless you. We left out of there pretty soon, two or three days after that, <clears throat> and were sent to Fort Lewis, Washington. Took us a few days to get up there, as slow as the trains was running. But we finally got up there. <clears throat> was taken to our barracks, and our other non-coms was appointed over us as corporals and sergeants and officers. And we just got settled in our barracks, and it's bad weather up there, cold and rainy and bad in the wintertime. And I'd had a little run-in on the train to going up there, but nothing to brag about. We won't even talk about that. But <clears throat> it come time to go to bed. We had bed check and roll call. And I decided, well, right now, I just want to break the ice now. It was any other time. I'd been sitting there on my bunk reading my Bible, and I noticed several was watching me. So when I got ready to go to bed, I knelt down there by the side of my bed and started praying. I wasn't trying to make a big show, you know, just but I was just praying, just me and God. And the first thing you know, well, there was some ice water poured right down my back. Well, I didn't like that too much, but it didn't hurt me, and I just kept on praying for a while. Well, that... I made it through that night all right, and the next day was different. We started the second day, <clears throat> and we had to take our shots and be shuffled around quite a bit that day and, and told how little we was and how no good we was. We were just a, a country boy in the Army, and we'd do what we was told. And, you know, a lot of those little jewels that they throw out to you issued some clothes and different things. That night I started to pray again and just hadn't been praying very long until somebody hit me between the shoulders with a, with a shoe. Well, I didn't even look around. I didn't want to know who done it. But I earned the respect of those boys pretty soon. You don't demand respect, you earn respect, or you don't have it. You might say, did you ever get homesick in the Army? Brother, I'll tell you, I've, I've marched and cried, and marched and cried, and worked and cried, and asked God, how come? How come I was in here? What did I do to deserve this? Of course, God didn't have nothing to do with it, I don't think. We just got in there. Just, just being American got in there. Well, we 
Things picked up pretty good around there in the camp. We'd been there quite a little while, and and some was touchy, and some was homesick, and different things, and and I got along with most of them pretty well. I tried to keep my mouth shut and and respect their homesickness and so forth. This one young fella couldn't nobody get along with him. He he knew more about your business than you did. He knew more about everybody's business. You couldn't hardly hold a conversation without him getting right in the middle of it. Knew more than both of you. And he was pretty, pretty honorary kind of a young fella. And I heard him tell one of the other boys one day, he said, I wish I could get that preacher mad enough to do something. He said, anything that I've done so far hasn't disturbed him, but I, I wish I could get him mad enough to do something. So the next day, he didn't know that I had just about all I could take out of him. And the next day, a mail call was in two-story barracks, and I was upstairs. And when they call mail call, well, everybody wanted to get down there first, get the mail. And this fellow was behind me. And I liked about three steps getting to the bottom of the stairway, and he shoved me from behind. And I fell into the next guy, and and he fell into the one ahead of him, and into the wall, and that old boy's just laughing. Said, I wonder what's going to happen now. But I didn't want to fight him. I didn't want to really get into no trouble, but that was a little too far. So I just walked over where he was and grabbed him with a collar and with a belt buckle and bounced him off the wall two or three times and threw him out in the middle of the floor, told him to get up we'd see who's going to be boss. But he didn't get up for a while. And we, he never did bother me no more. He'd pretty got, be a pretty good friend after that. Well, I got along with the rest of them pretty well after that, too. Some, when God got in things about that time, I, I finally went to that old boy and apologized for bouncing him off the wall. But he, he said he deserved it, and everybody else knew he did. But we we done pretty good after that. When God gets to dealing with you about things, well, it looks a little different, don't it? Well, we got to marching, and about the end of our basic training, and we had a lot of things behind us, a lot of things before us. And we was going to make a 16-mile hike. And we had a 35-pound pack. I saw my name on the bulletin board. And one of my friends, he saw my name up there, and he come around and he said, Now, Mac, I know you haven't been eating any for a few days, and you can't make that hike. I'm going to make it for you. No, this is my valley. I'll, I'll make it. So I wouldn't let him make it for me. That was my sixth day fasting. And I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. But I got out on the road. We got started hiking. And boy, the first 
50 minutes of hiking, 35-pound pack, and big old shoes on and coats. It kind of pulled at me a little. But by the help and grace of God, I just stayed with it. And after we marched that 50, 50 minutes, and then we had a 10-minute break, it seemed like all my insides turned to steel. And I went right ahead with the rest of them. I could walk just as fast, and just as far as the rest of them. My whole insides just felt like I didn't, the whole thing had just turned to steel. Made that hike, and 16 miles, come in, the sergeant got mad at me. And I had to work sick call that night for a while. Well, there was some second lieutenants, first lieutenants, just smart elderly kind of officers. And two or three days after that, we went on a bivouac. And these officers, their feet was tender and blistered just like everybody else's. We set up an aid station and the officer come around and told me another boy, he said, now, we're not supposed to leave this aid station. They're supposed to come to us. But he said, we got a couple of boys over here that's got sore feet and blistered. You boys know how to take care of that. Go over there and see what you can do for them. So we went over there. There they were. They were sitting down, the feet propped up, groaning and complaining. They didn't know our feet were blistered worse than theirs. And I looked at this old boy that was my helper, and he kind of grinned, and I said, yeah, we know how to fix them. So we just busted that blister and cut all the loose hide off and just put regular tape across that blister, where that blister was. They had a big blister on each heel, both of them, so we just put that raw tape right over that blister where we'd peel that hide. Boy, the next morning, here come the officer, just a rarin' and a fussin'. He said, I want the two boys that went over to the tent and fixed those officers' feet up. You, you can step out here. Well, we just knew we was in trouble, thought we was. Got over there a little ways where nobody could hear us, and this officer, our company commander, told us. He said, you boys done a real job putting that tape right over that where that blister had been and trimmed all that hide off. He said, them boys can't even walk on their feet today. Well, but he said, you done a good job. He said, just don't say nothing else about it. Just let it go. Well, we weren't going to say nothing else about it, but they never did call us to fix their sore feet no more. They always... We left up in, in Washington, and they sent us down on the desert, down in the Mojave Desert in California. Brother, it was hot. We'd been up there in that cold, damp, all went along, and then in May, they sent us down there on the desert. I'll tell you, it was hot. You couldn't hardly breathe down there. We finally got there on Friday afternoon, and the engineers had been ahead of us, and they just had the campsite 
marked off and we had to put up our tents and get things arranged so we that that afternoon Friday afternoon after we got there we got our tents put up and arranged for our bunks and what have you and gilly monsters and rattlesnakes and scorpions and well you just name it they was there but everybody was cautious. Nobody got hurt in it right then. A few days later, they did. But that was a, I'll tell you, it was hot. You couldn't hardly breathe. And the water was rationed. And just one canteen a day. Brother, you didn't have to be told to stay under the shade if you could find the shade. One day about 10 o'clock. We hadn't been there but just two or three days. About 10 o'clock one day, the old plants and, officer, plants and training officer decided the, the boys was too idle, which I'll agree some of them was, but uh, we're going to make a hike across that desert, that sand, 10 o'clock in the morning. So we all fell out, got in line, and here we started across that desert, four to breast around that grease wood and cactus and sand and rocks. Boy, it was rough. And we made the first 50 minutes and stopped for a break. And some sat down and some didn't. Some of the boys was in better shape than others, but this one old boy, he didn't sit down. He belonged to one of the rifle companies. And it, he looked over to another boy and he said, give me some water. And, no, you had as much as I had. I'm not, I'm not giving you no water. And he said, I want a drink. Somebody give me a drink. Well, nobody would. He didn't have any live ammunition for his rifle, but he had a bayonet. So he just slapped that bayonet on it, into that rifle and he took after a young man. He said, I said, I wanted to drink. I got to have some water. Boy, and around and around they went, that grease wood and cactus, sand, they couldn't hardly run in that stuff. And this old boy get almost to the one he's chasing. And he'd look back and see that bandit drawn right, right close to him and he'd pick up a little more speed. Finally, one of the officers told this boy that was being chased, he said, come back through the ranks, just come run back through here. So when he got back there, somebody tripped this fellow with a rifle and they took, his, took it away from him and, and handcuffed him and sent an ambulance out after him. I never saw that boy no more. He was in bad shape. But I'll tell you that desert sun not used to it. Uh, it was rough. So it took all the rest of the day to get those boys back to camp, back in the shade. It was long, long late in the afternoon when some of them got back in. Sick and hot. Boy, it was terrible. But that was desert life for you. Two or three days later, that called us out four o'clock in the morning and making another hike across that desert.
and I'd been used to hiking some and I was pretty fair shape I guess and I was chosen with three more fellas as, as advanced guard they kind of set the pace for the bunch and here we started and the first 50 minutes went pretty good but the next one it didn't go so good. It just kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So we marched till our 11 o'clock break, and I could see a, a pile of rocks out from us a ways. I told the other boys, I said, if I can make it to those rocks, place to sit down, that's as far as I'm going. I can't go no farther than the sand and heat. So we made it to there. And I just stopped and showed my pack off. And when we stopped, as far as you could see was men. They all stopped. And here come the old plants and training officer and his driver in a Jeep. He run up there and he said, I want to know who stopped this, who told you to stop here. And I told him, I said, sir, I don't have to be told when I've got enough. That I was going as far as I can go, and I'm not going no farther. Oh, he reared and fussed a little bit. Nobody else would get up either. He ordered everybody up. Nobody would get up. So we was there four days, four days and nights. Oh, it was rough, rough. They got to bringing our water and groceries to us. You didn't have to be told to stay under the shade. Now, you'd stay under the shade, sleeping on the ground and rocks and hoping the lizards and killer monsters and snakes would leave you alone. We, we made it pretty good there four days, and then it took us another all day long to get back into camp after they found more and more and more of that desert training and I I could feel God pulling in my heart I'd been called to preach before I went to service had preached some but not much but the call of God was a pulling on me hard I didn't know what he wanted me to do but I was open hearted I wanted him to talk to me whenever he got ready well he did after a while. One morning, we'd, I'd been staying in bed just as long as I could, like everybody else. And when I'd take my trousers off at night, I'd just drop them down to my feet and just step out of them and just leave them like that so I could get in them early if needs be. So one night, I stepped out of my trousers like that and and the next morning when I got up, I'd usually just grab my legs in the, in the pants and put them on. But that morning I fell to those trousers and they was a little heavy. And I raised them up, shook them, and nothing happened. But I could feel something was heavy in those trousers. So I began to shake them. And a little bit, I shook a 
get a monster out of my trousers leg. He was about 12, 14 inches long, rusty, like a stovepipe with a blunt tail and a rounded nose. And he was an ugly-looking creature, and just as mean as he was ugly. Not so mosquito monsters take a hold of something. They, they'll die before they'll turn it loose. I don't know when it ever turns loose, sometime in the night. Boy's got this one to grab a hold of a stick. And that night when we went to bed, he still had the stick. I don't know when he ever turned loose. Don't know whatever happened to him. But so much for the Gila monsters. That, that was my first and last experience with them, and I don't care for any war like that. God was dealing with my heart. One night, long in the night, I was trying to pray and seek the Lord. There was no lights to read by, just moonlight or stars, whatever you could see. And God got to deal with my heart. I didn't know nothing about fasting, hardly praying. But God got to dealing with my heart about I needed to fast. And that's not too easy task out there on that desert. But anyway, I wanted to be obedient to the Lord. So the next morning, I didn't go to breakfast. And I didn't go at noon. I didn't go at night. And 13 days and nights it went by. I've pasted 13 days and nights out there on that desert. And I was working sick call one day, and it was my job to fill up the syringes with the needles. And the officer that I worked with was a good friend of mine, real gentle kind of a man, and he was one of them that was giving the shots. He saw me filling up that bottle, and my hands was a little bit shaky after 13 days and nights without anything to eat out there on that desert. You'll get shaky too, brother. When he saw my hands are shaking, he said, Mac, what's the matter with you? Oh, nothing. I'll be all right. He said, stretch your hand out here toward me. I stretched my hand out, and it was a little bit shaky. So he said, you you go back to the tent. He said, I'm putting you on quarters, and don't you leave that tent. Well, after we get through giving these shots, and he said, I'll be up to see you long after a while. So I went back up to the tent, and I'll tell you, I was, I was hot and weak and tired. Long after a while, there were four doctors come up there at the tent where I was, and, and they give me examination like I had never had before. And they said, this is it for you on this, on this desert. But they put me back in bed, and the next day they come and got me an ambulance and took me farther back to a little station hospital. I spent the night there, and the next day they come and got me, and they took me back to Needles, which was about 35 miles away. I spent three months there. I didn't tell nobody what was the matter with me. 
I just felt like it was me and God. Then finally they dismissed me from there. But while I was there, I hadn't been in the hospital in Needlesville just two or three days, and I got a card in the mail one day, and my company commander uh, sent me a card, and he said, I'm sorry that you're not going to get to go with us. But he said, we're shipping out tomorrow. And they were sent to somewhere to a port of embarkation, put on a ship and sent out, and about 90% of that outfit was wiped out as soon as they landed. I began to understand a little bit more why God dealt with me so strongly about fasting. I still don't know a whole lot about it, but I know a lot more than I did. When, the, when I left Needles, they sent me to San Bernardino, California. That's a reemplacement depot. I was there a few days. And the Lord got to dealing with me when we was there at Indio on the desert. And it seemed like things had been going kind of smooth in a way, but the Lord got to dealing with me that I needed to get a little bit deeper. I didn't know what was ahead, but I, I knew God was trying to tell me something. So I started praying more and more, all I could. There was another young man there, and he had the Holy Ghost. And I told him, I said, I want the Holy Ghost. I got to have it. Well, he agreed with that, and I started seeking for the Holy Ghost night after night. And I didn't get a chance to go to church hardly. We out there on the desert, and there we were, about 35 miles from town. And I'd do my duties in the day, and at night I'd spend time on that desert praying, hour after hour after hour. The more I prayed, that the greater desire I had to get the blessing. I I knew I had to have it. God kept a dealing with me to get in deeper. Get in deeper. And one afternoon late they come around and told everybody, said, We'll have to see a training film tonight. So they had a screen set up out there and some seats and and it was a mist and rain. It does get cool on the desert sometimes in the fall of the year. Cool and it was mist and rain and and not too pleasant out. So we put our, our heavy coats on and put a raincoat over that and sat there and watched that training film. When we got through with that training film, we went back to our tents and, uh, well, you know, whether well, just said our boys, the things are not too pleasant every time. And some, some was gambling and some smoking and what have you. So I went to this buddy of mine and I told him, I said, Lewis, I want to go pray. Uh, 
No, he said, it's too bad to go. He said, I ain't going out tonight to pray. He said, you can pray in your bunk. So I went back over my tent and prayed, just sat there a little bit and prayed, and I wasn't satisfied. So I went back over where he was at and told him, I said, Lewis, I'm going to go out over the dike. There was a dike way out uh, a couple of hundred yards or so behind the bar- uh, behind the tents. And no, he said, I'm not a-going. It's just too bad to go. And I said, well, uh, I'll see you later, but I'm a-going. Well, he said, if you're determined to go, he said, I'll wrap up and go with you. We got out there and just walked over that dike and started praying, and the glory of the Lord come down. And I don't know what all happened, but I got the Holy Ghost that night. And it, boy, when I finally come to myself, and there must have been 200 men out there on that dike watching the show. I don't know what all went on. And some of them said, oh, Max, what off his rocker? Some said he's trying to get to be chaplain. Oh, they had a lot of things to say about it. But the main thing was that I got the Holy Ghost. You can get it, too, if you'll get a little pride out of you. And you don't have to have a flesh rug to pray on. That was, that was just old sand and rocks where I was praying. And you can get it, too, if you'll pay the price. The next day, the chaplain called me in. and He said, I want to know what happened out there last night. I said, well, I got the Holy Ghost. And he was a, a belief that didn't believe in the Holy Ghost. And we didn't have a whole lot to say. We didn't discuss much with him. He didn't understand no more than anybody else did that don't believe in it. But I saw quick, just a few days, I saw that I, I really needed the Holy Ghost. It was sure a comfort and a strength me and a guide. And one night uh, the Lord was dealing with me and he said, you get ready. He'd been trying to warn me. Get ready. So the next day uh, I was called to go see the, the company commander of that unit. I'd just been there a little bit. So I got to his place and and the old sergeant told me, he said, now you better talk easy and you better talk straight because that is a mean man in there. And I guess that company commander could hear what the sergeant was saying, but I'd met mean ones in there before and he wasn't scaring me none. In a little bit, the sergeant came in and told me, he said, now, He's ready, but he said, you better be careful. And the Holy Ghost had been dealing with me all the night before about about this character. I didn't know really how bad he was. So I went in there and stated my name and serial number and what have you. He said, sit down. Just snappy. And I sat down. And he said... You're, the, you're that holy roller that I've been hearing about. 
come to this outfit. I said, well, whatever. Whether you want to call me a holy roller or not, but I am a child of the king. Yeah, he said, I've heard about you. You've been here a few days, and I've been hearing about you. And I heard about you praying and carrying on. Well, that's my privilege in the Army. I, if I want to, I, that's my privilege. I've got a right to do that. Yeah, he said, that's right. And he said, I take you for an honest man. As well, I try to be. And he said, you've been here a few days now, and you know what the what the men in the company think about me. And he said, I want you to tell me the truth. Well, I could see there was a man that was, wasn't satisfied with himself. And I didn't try to take advantage of him, but I said, well, you asked me for the truth, didn't you? And he said, yes, I expect you to tell me the truth, what the men in the outfit think about me. He said, every time I walk across the company ground where the men are, said they just get out of the way. It's like something was bad. And I said, well, you ask for the truth, and I'm just going to tell you. said, they hate you worse than they do a rattlesnake. They hate you when, you, when they see you coming. They start cussing, or some of them do, and they hate you. They just don't care a thing for you. He looked down a little bit, and pretty soon he said, well, can you tell me how I can change that? And I said, yeah, I think I can. I said, if you treat them like a man, what you need to really need is really get saved a change in your own life and treat those men like they was men and stay out of their personal business. He wanted to know about their families and about his their wives and all that personal stuff that was none of his business. He tried to butt into all that and they didn't go for that. And he said, I asked him, I said, did you ever go to church any? He said, when I was a little boy, my mother took me to church. Her grandmother took me to church and said, I remember the teacher said something about a shepherd. Read out of the Bible about a shepherd. Said, would you have any idea? I don't know where that is in the Bible. And I said, yep. I know, I can tell you. So I had a New Testament and Psalms in the pocket. So I just took it out and read the 23rd Psalm to him. Yeah, he said that's what the that's what the teacher read about the shepherd. And he said, read that again. And I read it again. And I said, you read it. It'll mean more to you if you read it. So he read it. After he read that 23rd Psalm. I could see a, a hunger, a soft place in that man, but she didn't want nobody to see, but it was there. I had work to do, and I had duties to do, and he told me, he said, I better let you go. And I said, well, 
before we go and depart company today, why don't me and you just have a word of prayer here in the room together? And he said, I don't know how to pray. Well, I don't know either, but we'll just pray together what little we can say. So I had prayer with him. And he said, in the morning, can you come back and let's read some more and have prayer again? And I said, I sure will if I'm not too bound to duty. He said, you'll be off duty long enough for that. So the next morning I went down and read with him and prayed with him again. And that lasted several days while I was there in that particular place. And he became a pretty good friend of mine and he changed. He walked down through the company where the men were and, and he had a smile on his face and and he had a kind word for everybody. He spoke to everybody like a gentleman instead of like a boss of some kind. And that didn't last too awful long in that area. And I was sent back on the coast over San Luis Obispo. Uh, and I was there for a while. And there I met my wife and we got married over there. And then I was sent from there to Illinois. And there's where business really picked up when we got in Illinois. And I was praying more and more every day and I felt God was dealing with my heart to pray I needed to be stronger. Uh, that was the thing that God impressed on me more more, you need to be stronger. You need to be stronger. Well, I'd got the Holy Ghost, but I found out that wasn't a place to stop. He kept a dealing, you must be stronger. And things are pretty rough there in Illinois. And I didn't want to get in no trouble, but I, I had to, I had to do something. So I would excuse myself. At night, my wife wasn't, she didn't go to Illinois with me uh, right then. I would excuse myself at bed check and go out on a parade ground and I'd pray all night long. You ought to try praying all night long. You, you won't without a burden, but if you get burden enough, you will crying and praying and I remember reading about the children of Israel when they saw what bondage they was under they didn't get disturbed till they really saw where they was at and then the Bible said they sighed they groaned and they cried and God never said anything about hearing the cries but he talked to Moses and he said I have heard the groans of my people and that's when you get down below words. You get farther gone than words and conversation. You get as deep as you can in prayer, and God will hear that language. But you can get somewhere with God if you can get to groaning. And I mean business with God. Really get down to prayer and, and groan. I got to go to a little old church there 
I don't know really what it was, but I wasn't interested in that. I I got to go to church and and seemed like there was a, a one night there was a, a fear in the church and I didn't know why, but I saw this lady come in the door, kind of a medium built kind of a woman, about so big. But she came in and walked right up to the front. And when she come in, everybody looked at her and they began to move back toward the door. And the pastor's wife got up and went back to the door. And the pastor got clear over to the side. Now I wonder what in the world is going on here. And boy, that woman come up to the front and sat down there a little bit and then pretty soon she just fell out the floor on her belly like a snake. And her eyes was glassy and her tongue was lapping out like a snake and she was crawling on her belly just like a snake. Wasn't kicking her legs nor moving her arms, but just the motion of her body, she was crawling like a snake. And everybody went to the back, but two or three soldiers. And I was down, down up on the platform. There's a little rail across there, a little gate right where I was knelt down and I wasn't I wasn't scared of her. I wasn't about to run, I didn't think I was. And I realized when she made around the altar once and got back pretty close to where I was, I realized what God meant when he kept telling me you must get closer, you must be stronger. And she come right up to that little gate, looked at me right in the face, and those eyes was a snapping, and her, and her tongue was a lolling out, and she started up on the platform right in front of me. Well, there was no time to run. Everybody else had run. So God helped me. I just, the Holy Ghost come down, and, and I just reached out and got her with the head, both of my hands, and started rebuking that devil and, and she began to squirm and pull back and try to get away and I just held her some the other boys, two or three of them they was there praying with everything they had but I held that woman so she just kind of relaxed and when she relaxed she just turned over on her side and just laid there and that she screamed when she just before she relaxed I heard somebody out on the sidewalk scream right after she did, and down the sidewalk they went. They, some of them out there said they didn't know where she went as a woman. They didn't know where that woman went, but she left there screaming. And after a little bit, the people come together back in. We got this woman up on the seat, and she was, uh, after a while she told the pastor, she said, I want to testify. And she got up to testify, and she was crying, and she said, I know I've had this spirit a long time, and I've wanted to get rid of it. She said, I've tore up every church in town. I've been in every church, and, and they all know me and despise me, and I wanted to get rid of this. But everybody run from me, and I just went on my way. But tonight, she said, I'm so glad to be delivered. It'll pay you to get closer to God, children. Just a little while after that, 
I was going through one of the hardest places in all my Christian experience. I didn't know why, but I was. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. There was no place to go. I didn't know who to talk to. The chaplain didn't understand. And there was nobody else to talk to but some of those that they didn't understand either. And one day I was I was on quarters. And I decided I'd get out on the sidewalk and walk a little ways, try to get a hold of God, try to find my way. And I got out on my sidewalk and and walking and praying, just nowhere in mind to go, nothing in particular to do, just walk and pray. And I met this man. I don't know where he come from. I just looked up and there he was, right in front of me. And he nodded when we met on the sidewalk. We just nodded it and started on. And, and I got just a little few feet down there, steps. And, and I turned around and looked, and that man just stood there looking at me. And just ordinary-looking individual. I never had saw him before. But he started walking back toward me. And he said, I think you are the man that i got a message for. He walked up pretty close to me, never touched me, just looked at me, and started talking from there. And he told me just exactly what I needed to do in my problem, how to do it, and when to do it. And he said, now you obey what I'm telling you and it'll come out all right. Will the glory of God come down? I'll tell you, my soul was fat. And I thanked him, and I started walking on, and I turned around and looked. I hadn't walked over three or four steps. Turned around and looked, and there was no man in sight. I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he went, but he had what I needed. wasn't but a little bit after that till I was shipped from Illinois to New Jersey. And that was the port of embarkation where I was. And they called us all in one day. I was in the medics and I never had been issued a rifle. But they called us in one day in a big auditorium. I don't know how many men there was in there, a bunch of them. And this old general, boy, he talked like he was going to bite everybody's head off. And he talked to us a while, and after a while he said, I hear there's some holy rollers in this group. And he said, I don't know how you're going to stand. And he said, there's a truckload of rifles at the door. And he said, every man will be issued a rifle when you leave this building, except you that think you're strong enough to not take a rifle. He said, I'll give you time to get up and walk out now. Well, there I was. And I just got up and walked out. There were three more men walked out 
right behind me. We went on back to our barracks, and I had no idea what was going to happen. He told us we'd suffer the consequences. So we didn't hear nothing that afternoon. But the next morning, there was a note board to appear at the adjutant's office. So the four of us went to the adjutant's office, not knowing what was going to happen. So we went in before him, and he talked to us a little bit, and he said, you boys go down the supply tent and get a wheelbar and a shovel and come back up here. Well, here we went, got a wheelbar and a shovel, got back up there and he turned us over to a corporal. And there was a pile of rock, I'd say about a dump truck load of rock, gravel, that had been dumped right at the end of the baseball field. So he told us to go down there and move that rock over a little ways from where it was. So we went down there, and it didn't take four hours long. With shovels and wheelbars, removed that pile of rock. Then they decided that wasn't where they wanted it to put it back where it was. So we put that rock back where it was in the same pile. Got the ground all raked up, went back and reported to the adjutant. And those other boys was on duty. But I didn't have no duty assigned to me right then. So he told me to stay around a little bit. These other boys went on out and reported for duty that they had. And he asked me, he said, Mac, could you use a three-day pass? I said, yeah, I, I could. He said, what would you do if you had one? I said, well, if I could get to town in time, I'd have a street service this afternoon, and then I'd go to church tonight, Sunday school in the morning, and church Sunday night. He said, that's where you spend your weekends? I said, yes, sir. Well, he said, go back to your barracks and get cleaned up and come back up here. So I went to the barracks and got cleaned up and got a little handbag with some clothes in it. Went back down to his office and he kind of smiled a little. He said, I didn't know what the consequences were going to be for you boys, but when it was turned over to me, he said, I thought it would be a little different. He said, have you got your things ready to even I said, yeah. He said, well, here's your pass. You got a three-day pass. And he said, you go have a good time and be back to duty on time Monday morning. Oh, I was thrilled. I'll tell you, God was really blessing my heart about then. So I went out to the bus station, caught the bus, went into town. Just about the time some of the other boys was gathered up on the courthouse square to have a 
street service. Got through that, and then went to church that night and had a glorious time. Had a glorious time all the weekend. God had really blessed me. Just a little bit after that, we, I was sent to New Jersey. That's a long ways from home. But we got up there, and, and my wife was up there, and another couple that we were close to. And, boy, they were strict on us up there. They didn't want us out of the barracks for nothing. They really holding us in close. And one day they had a restriction that nobody left the barracks. I mean, it was, uh, we was on, oh, on alert and nobody was to lose or leave the barracks. And long up in the afternoon, I, when I went to dinner, this friend of mine was a cook, and he said, we've just got not very long to be with our wives. He said, you going to go see your wife tonight? I said, well, we're restricted. Yeah, I know it, but he said, I'm going to go see mine. He said, being a cook, I can go right out the side door, just keep on walking down the company street to the bus station. He said, why don't you come over and we'll both go. Well, that sounded good to me, kind of risky. So I went over there to the cook shack of the mess hall, and the guards said, oh, it's on duty, fall out. So I went over there, and I, he knew I wasn't on duty. So I stood around in the mess hall a little bit, Everything kind of settled down, so we went out the side door. It was pouring down rain. We got out the side door and walked down the street a little ways and to a bus stop. Here come the bus in just a little bit. We got on that bus. They come right back in front of my barracks and stopped. And one of the guards uh, got up there with a flashlight, and it wasn't but about three or four of us on there. He looked us over good, and he said, well, there's nobody here uh, on this bus that shouldn't be, I guess. He said, there are all these people restricted. So the bus driver took us on to town and got up there, and we had to leave out about 3 o'clock the next morning. And still pouring down rain. We got back to the mess hall. That wasn't so bad getting back to there, but I had to go by two barracks to get to my barracks. And then it was about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I was sopping wet, and and I kept watching the guards, uh, give them just about a chance to get about halfway the length of the barracks. And I made a run for it. I got to the door of my barracks, and at the time I made a, a run for the barracks, I got to the door and I heard the guard holler halt. But I didn't. I went right on up the stairs. I was sopping wet. My feet was leaving wet tracks on the floor. And I got to my barracks, and I 
just pulled the cover back and just crawled in, wet clothes, boots, raincoat and everything else, got under the cover, covered up. Here come the guards, shining the light on every bag, on every bunk. And I, when he shined the light on me, I pretend I sound asleep. But he couldn't keep from seeing how wet everything was on the floor. And, and he never said a word. He just walked on out. And wasn't but just a little while, 10 minutes or so after that, till they called the whole bunch out. And there I didn't have time to change clothes. Got out of bed. My bed was wet. And my clothes was wet. And I just knew I'd hear something from that. But I got by that day. And nobody said anything about it. But... It got tighter and tighter and tighter. The Lord got to dealing with me about fasting again. And I didn't know how I was going to make it. So I decided that i go as far as I could fasting. So I would eat on Sunday noon and on Wednesday. And the rest of the time I was fast. They kept a closing in a little tighter on us. It's time to go overseas. Getting ready for that. And I, naturally, I didn't want to go. I wasn't fighting the Army, and I want everybody to know that here's this. But I'm not running down the Army. There's just that's one thing, and, and my battle was another. So we got to praying every night. There's three other boys there that was praying I don't know if there's fasting or not but there's a praying and we'd go pray together but it got down to all of our equipment was loaded on the ship Queen Elizabeth's ship sailed out of New York and I'd been fasting and praying all I could the Lord was really working on me and heavy and uh, they're going to call us in for uh, last physical before we went overseas. And I got over to the dispensary, and the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, don't answer you. They always called us in alphabetical order. He said, don't answer your name. So I just stood back and waited until everybody else got through. Finally, one of the... Uh, Corporals come out and call my name, and he said, "If whoever this is, if you don't answer now, you'll be counted AWL." Well, I didn't want that, and the Lord had spoke to me and said, "Now's the good time." So I went up there and answered the call, and they didn't talk too like they thought too much of me about then, but they put me in a little room sent a doctor in there to examine me. The Holy Ghost was running up and down my spine, my soul. I was a crying, and that doctor come in there and tried to examine me, and he he walked out, shut the door, and he went and got another doctor. Brought another doctor in there and said, we got a man here that's gone completely haywire. Said, we can't, we can't do nothing with him. Let's just... Uh, let him rest here a while. Those fellas went out of the room and just left me a while, and I quit crying. The spirit had let up a little bit. And 
They come back in and said, now, take it easy. Don't get too excited. Said, we're going to uh, send you over here to talk to another man. So they had the EMP out there with the Jeep. They put me in that Jeep. Took me over there to talk to somebody else. And when I walked in, he just stretched his hands out and he said, just take it easy, soldier. Said, we'll forget this military routine. And said, just sit down over there. And about that time, the Holy Ghost come on me again. I just shook and trembled and, and slung my arms and talked in tongues. And he got scared. Everybody else was scared. So when I calmed down that time, he said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, soldier, but we're not going to take you with us. And he said, we're going to send you to the hospital tonight. So the, here come, well, the Jeep was already there, the MP. So they took me over to a hospital and admitted me in the hospital that night. And nothing happened very much that night. But the next day, the old major of the hospital, he called me in and he said, what, what's the matter to you? I said, I don't know of a thing wrong with me. Yeah, he said, I, I, know, I know what you've been doing. I've been hearing about you. And he said, I just wanted to tell you that you're in my custody now. You're in my barracks. And he said, I don't know where you're false or not. But he said, if you are, I'll break you down. You'll be a, a cusser and a tobacco chewer and everything else, street brawler and everything else before you get out of here. I said, well... Just whatever you feel best. And he let me go then, and boy, he started on me. Every little old thing you could think about that would irritate you, that was, that was his way. And a few nights, two or three nights later, I went out on the porch. They had a screening porch there at the barracks, and I asked the guard if I could go out on that porch and pray. Yeah, he said, you can go out there and pray. So I got out on the porch and started praying. And the Lord was helping me and blessing me. And I got to talking in tongues while I was praying. And, and I knew two men came in the porch where I was at. We just never said nothing, just sat over there. And I didn't know who they were or what they was there for. But after a while, I quit praying and they left and I still didn't know what they was, what their business was and about two days after that I was called to an examining board and boy they, they had put me through the mill up till then and I knew the the man that was acting uh, judge I knew him. I went to church with him over on the coast. And he told me, he said, now just take it calm and don't get excited. He said, this is just a examining board. But the old major that was over the ward that I was in, he, he was there and he told me, he said, now just just sit down here and just take it easy and, and 
Don't get excited. Said, we ain't going to hurt you. Nobody's going to hurt you. Well, I wasn't afraid of that. But I sat down there in the chair. Pretty soon the chaplain, he come in and he started questioning me about how I knew I was a Christian. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to the other. Now I said, when you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. He said, that's all I've got to say. They called another man and said, uh, these two men was in the room when this man was praying and said, we want to hear your report. Well, one of them, he read a little bit, a few words in English, and then he stopped. And he said, I, I've studied several different languages. And he said, this man was speaking in a language that I never had heard before. So they called on the other one, and he said, I went about as far as the other man. But he said, I never heard a language like that before. And about that time, the glory of the Lord come down. And they heard it again that day. In a little bit, the old major just stood up. And he told the general, the judge, he said, I'll answer for this man. Let's let him go back to his barracks and I'll answer for him. They all agreed, so here I went back to the barracks and just had got in and sat down on the bunk and was there just a little while. So here came somebody in the front door calling my name. And well, it was about 5 o'clock in the evening then, I guess. So I answered my name and walked up to the front and this whack, she was a crying. And she said, I want you to look these papers over and see what you think about them. And I looked over at them, and it was a discharge, an honorable discharge from the United States Army. And she was crying, and she said, I'd give anything if I had just what you've got right now. Well, you can have it if you want it. You'll have to work to get it. So I looked the papers over good, and I didn't see nothing wrong with them, so I signed them. And about two days after that, I got all my mustering out, turned my clothes in, and went through all the mustering out procedures. They came in and told me, said, you're going to leave here at 5 o'clock this afternoon, catch a train to go home. The old major, I had to go through his office. There was three other men went ahead of me, and they was laughing and carrying on and having a great time. And he told them, said, don't you boys go home and or just go right straight home and go back to regular routine life. But he said, stop on the way. Use your mustering out pad. Stop on the way and live it up before you get home to your wives or your family. They all greeted him goodbye. But I didn't go in when they did. I stood outside. After a while, he said, Mac, it's your time. 
when I walked in, he stood up. We just He stuck out his hand to shake hands with me. And he said, I've had a lot of men come through this hospital. And he said, I've broke nearly all of them. But he said, I never did shatter your faith in God. And he said, stay with God. He said, what are you going to do when you get home? I said, I'll probably preach. That's what I'm called to do. That's my job. And he said, well, stay with us. said, the Red Cross contacted us here and told us that you had places to preach when you got home. And they're for you, and I'm for you, and everybody's for you. So go have a good time. He shook hands with me, and they took me on down to the depot, put me on the train, and I left out Kilmer, New Jersey, going to Chickasha, Oklahoma. Well, I got there. I didn't go to Chickasha. I went to the town where my folks lived, at Minko, a little town. And when I got there, I never had told my wife and my mother that I was coming home. I didn't know for sure why I was going to the penitentiary to go home. And they had had a prayer meeting a few nights before that. And the Lord told my mother, said he'll be home in just two or three days. So she told my wife that. And, so, and I didn't know that. So I went down the alley. Thought I'd go in from the back to the house where my folks was. My wife was standing with them right then. And got inside of the house. Mama and my wife was hanging out clothes. And Mama looked up and saw me coming and she said, well, there he is. That's all there was to it. Not, not much excitement at all for a while. But you can't fool God. You can't fool the Holy Ghost. There's no use to try. You just can't. He'll show you things to come. Well, I'm about run down for this. There's things I've left out and other things I'd like to have in here, but I'm just about talked out for now. This is Brother Clarence McDaniel, and I hope all that, uh, that hears this, I hope it will encourage you some to stay with God. May the Lord bless all of you.